Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Indians 8, the Kansas City Royals 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And before we get into the storylines in this one, we have to take a moment and acknowledge how emotional yesterday was for a lot of Cleveland Indians baseball fans out there. Now, I understand that this was the final home game as the Cleveland Indians, right? The big Indian sign in center field is coming down. The sign uh, behind the home plate entrance is coming down. I saw a lot of people taking pictures. Everybody had their phone out yesterday at the game recording. Saw a lot of chatter on Indians Twitter about it. Here's what I want to say. I got to get something off my chest about this. I just said it was the final home game for the Cleveland Indians baseball team. The important part about that is two of those three words are not changing. It is still going to be a Cleveland baseball team. Yes, the name Indians is changing. Now you're talking to a kid from the 90s. And there's nobody more nostalgic about Indians baseball than kids from the 90s. Maybe if you were a kid from the 40s and 50s, you're as nostalgic as we are. But we grew up in the era of some of the best baseball in the history of this city. And it was with the Indians logo. And I drew pictures of Chief Wahoo when I was a kid. And, you know, I I loved this team. And I've grown up and understood what the name Indians represents and why it might not be appropriate for a major league professional sports franchise. We all kind of reconciled with the fact that Chief Wahoo was inappropriate. And now we reconcile with the fact that the name isn't appropriate It probably was never appropriate, but it's definitely not appropriate now, now that we understand the cultural impact that these things have. So, with that being said, you may not love Guardians, right? Obviously, there was thousands of names to choose from, but the important part is that on opening day next year, Shane Bieber is going to be standing on the mound for the Cleveland baseball team, for the Cleveland baseball franchise. They're not moving us to Montreal They're not moving us to Vegas. We're staying right here and we're playing baseball at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. They could have come out a lot stronger with the Guardian's name, frankly. They could have come out a lot stronger with the iconography. I mean, when in the movies, when they say Guardians of the freaking galaxy, they put a little weight behind it. They didn't really do that with this new logo, the winged baseball or anything like that. There's nothing that portrays strength, which is what the Guardians should be portraying. Strength in defending the city. Okay, so they got to work on that a little bit, right? The marketing people for the Cleveland baseball franchise need to work on that a little bit. They're clearly going forward with the new diamond font. Uh, There was a rendering of what Uh, They propose they're going to replace the Indian sign with the Guardian sign. So much is staying the same. The colors are still red, navy, and white. So much is staying the same. Jose Ramirez is going to be standing at third base come opening day. So much is staying the same. I, I think it is ridiculous. 
ridiculous the trade rumors out there. Jose Ramirez is a completely different situation than Francisco Lindor. Jose Ramirez should be our, um, what's his name? The catcher in St. Louis. My God, I'm drawing a total blank here in the middle of my rant. The catcher in St. Louis, it is Molina, Yadier Molina. Jose Ramirez should be our Yadier Molina. He should be a guy that never plays a game not in a Cleveland uniform. We should lock that up. The important part is it's still going to be Cleveland baseball. And I am excited for what the future holds. I'm excited to see what kind of new artwork comes out of Guardians, right? How does the logo eventually develop and change? You know, are they going to come up with something that portrays more strength, more intimidation, the Guardians of the freaking baseball universe, right? The Guardians of Cleveland. A lot could change. Their first answer, their, their first design doesn't have to be the thing that lasts the next hundred years. So, I understand that you will miss the Indians. I understand that you have piles of Indians clothes and, you know, t-shirts and hats and hoodies. I get it. They also said they're not going to be the t-shirt police. You can still wear your Indians jersey to the game next year. I think the important part is I still have one or two t-shirts that have Indians on it. I've tried to go away from it as much as possible because I saw this change coming. I, you know, don't have any Chief Wahoo stuff anymore. I lie. I actually have one Chief Wahoo thing. It's this like Nike Under Armour type shirt that's really comfortable to wear in the winter. And uh, I cover up Chief Wahoo when I wear it. It's fun. It's a good shirt to work out in. Um, But yeah, I still have one or two Cleveland Indians t-shirts and yeah, I'll probably wear it still. The important part is that we talk about it, that we discuss why the name was changed. We, you, you don't forget history. You remember history. No one's asking you to bury the history of the Cleveland Indians. They're asking you to remember it, and then they're asking you to acknowledge why it's important to change the name now. All right, so that is my rant. Please be nostalgic. Be nostalgic for, for the baseball teams that have come before and for everything that the Indians franchise has meant to the city. The franchise isn't changing. It's not going anywhere. This is our Cleveland baseball team. And we will now guard the corner of Carnegie and Ontario against the invading Sox and Yanks and Twins and Tigers that try to come into our city and try to beat us at baseball. (laughs) As ridiculous as that sounds. All right, so that is my thoughts on the final home game as Cleveland Indians. Uh, all right, let's get into the storylines of the actual game because because uh, it was not home runs on this day that really won this day. It was doubles. The Cleveland Indians had five doubles on the day. The offense going off, the offense scoring runs in six of eight possible innings up to bat. That is just a fun offensive day. And right away in the first inning, Straw and Ahmed Rosario Get us going with back-to-back doubles. This is after uh, Salvador Perez hit a double in the in the top of the first to give the Royals a one nothing lead. The Indians come back with back-to-back doubles to start the game. And uh, I feel bad for on Ahmed Rosario's double. It was a ground rule double over the right center field wall. And I feel bad for the guy sitting in the front row because when a home run is coming, you can prepare for it. 
But him and the two people on his side are sitting so casually. They know the ball is not going to clear the wall. They see that it's going to be a double. and they, they can read that. And they're sitting there so casually. And then the ball shoots up over the wall. It kind of clocks the guy in the, co- in the shoulder. He ends up getting the ball. Uh, it ends up falling down at his feet. But I feel bad as you know, as the fan, you usually can prepare for those sort of things. And this guy had no idea this ball was coming his way, that it was going to hop over that big wall out there in right uh, in right center field. It's it's not not it's no 19 foot wall in left field, but the wall in right field is still no joke. I think it's still nine feet or something like that. So yeah, so back to back doubles. Eventually, he moves over on a Jose Ramirez ground out, and then Fermil Reyes gets the job done with a sack fly. And we've got two across in the first, and we are not looking back at all. We go. We have two doubles in the second inning that lead to another one. Badly Zimmer gets a double. Andres Jimenez doubles him in. Andres Jimenez is hitting pretty good right now. I like his approach right now. Uh, yeah. Ahmed Rosario then comes up. A solo home run in the third inning. 105.1 miles per hour. 408 feet to dead center field. Ahmed Rosario was absolutely locked in. He would then single in his next at-bat and then single in the sixth inning, four for four on the day. He ends up, he has a chance to go five for five in the eighth, but he ends up popping out. Had a chance to go for the cycle, too. If he hit a gap, you know he was going to third. That's what I was waiting for. It was the final at-bat of the day for the Indians, and he pops out. So still, four for five on the day for Ahmed Rosario. Uh... Two runs scored, a double, a homer, three RBIs on the day. He's got his batting average up to 285, the best batting average on the team with a 734 OPS. By the way, Miles Straw hitting ahead of him. He goes two for five on the day, including a double. He's got his average up to 273, and he got that OPS up to 700. It's just over 700 right now. Andres Jimenez has got his average up to 210 with his double. He was one for three on the day. With two RBIs. Uh, so yeah, it was a pretty good hitting day. Let's take a look. I want to know where the location was of all of um, all of Ahmed Rosario's hits. So let's go to chart options and we'll go to in play no out and in play run scored. And let's take a look at Ahmed Rosario here. So the one he ends up hitting for a double in the first inning is a fastball. An inside fastball was the first pitch of the at-bat. Coart tries to challenge him with an inside fastball. And if there's one thing about Ahmed Rosario we've learned this season is he is very aggressive up at the plate. So after Miles Straw drops a double into right field, which, frankly, if it was a different outfielder besides Dozier, like if that's Bradley Zimmer out there, he probably comes up with the catch. But anyways... Straw leads off the double, and then Ahmed Rosario swings at the very first pitch, a fastball, 102.8 into the gap uh, for his ground rule double. Then in the third inning, his home run on a 1-1 count is a changeup in basically the same location, up and in, uh, at the stomach and in. Uh, we've seen high, in, middle in. It's middle in. Um, it's a changeup on a 1-1 count. So, uh, obviously, looking for inside stuff. The single then in the fifth inning is on an 0-2 count. Kowar tries to go with a changeup down, but does not get it down far enough. And Ahmed Rosario shoots a single. 
And then uh, it's a slider. It's a first pitch slider from Payampas. And uh, he shoots that one in the left field for a single in the sixth inning. So being very aggressive, two of his kids, hits came on the very first pitch of the at-bat. So being very aggressive from Ahmed Rosario. And you know what? Before I forget about it, I'm just going to get it out of the way. Ahmed Rosario definitely takes home MVP for the day. Four hit day, three RBIs. Yeah, that's getting the job done. Ironically, he would not have much backup either. I mean, Fermil Reyes would have that sack fly RBI. Bobby Bradley would have a sacrifice RBI. Um, but nobody would get a hit until Bradley Zimmer in the seventh spot. And when we're talking about offense, we got to talk about the final, was it the final run scored by the Indians? Um, yeah, I think it was. No, well, yeah. So Austin Hedges and Andres Jimenez would combine for a run after this. Uh, Austin Hedges would end up on third with a double and then advancing a third on an error. And then, uh, the right fielder having trouble with the ball, and then Andres Jimenez would hit a sack fly and get the job done and get him in. That's good baseball right there. But Bradley Zimmer would start off the eighth inning facing his brother. And let's go to the matchup. We gotta go to the matchup. Kyle Zimmer versus Bradley Zimmer. Now, Kyle Zimmer, in their first time facing each other, I believe Kyle Zimmer struck him out. So this time, he goes high with a forcing fastball. Lays off it for ball one. Goes high again with a four-seam fastball, and for some reason, he swings at this one. It's basically in the exact same location, the exact same pitch. This one he offers at. Swings through it. He thinks, okay, I've got him high. I've got his head up, right? I got him looking up. I got his shoulders up a little bit. I'm going to drop a slider on him. Bradley Zimmer was ready for that. He knew it was coming. He actually, I you can't even call this a hanging slider. This thing is down at the knees at the bottom of the strike zone. It's frankly a good pitch. And uh, Bradley Zimmer just knew something in his brother's body language that a slider was coming. And he goes down and gets this, gets the bat head low and drives it 107.2 miles per hour, 408 feet to the concourse in right field, clears the seats in right field. Another monster home run for Bradley Zimmer. And uh, there was a lot of smirking, a lot of smiles as he was rounding the bases. And, uh, you know, he said that he's not, he, he, I think I was more trash talking to my brother on text message than uh, Bradley Zimmer was in the post game. You know, he seemed very kind of calm about it. Like, yeah, he got me the first time. So now we're even, uh, I'd say it's mixed emotions. He said, I don't necessarily pride myself just because I hit that off my brother. Hopefully someday we'll be on the same team. I get that. Me and my brother play old man softball together. We love it. Um, so, yeah. So, he said it was, he admitted it was fun, though. He admitted it was fun to hit a homer off his brother. Um, and and the Indians. No, I shouldn't even say the Indians. See, this is where it's important. This is where my rant earlier this morning was important. Cleveland baseball history has quite the um, legacy of this brother-off-brother home run action. Uh, it starts back in 1904 with the Cleveland Naps. Remember, they weren't always the Cleveland Indians. This franchise has had other names. They were the Naps, the Blues, the Broncos, Cleveland Forest Cities, Cleveland Spiders, different franchises. Blues, Broncos, Naps, Indians, Guardians. All one franchise. So, 1904, in October 7, 1904, the Naps' George Stovall hits one off the Tigers pitcher and his brother, 
Jesse Stovall, the very first brother-on-brother crime in Major League Baseball. Then in 1933, the Red Sox' Rick Farrell hits one off Indians pitcher Wes Farrell, takes his brother deep. And finally, in 1975, Astros' Joe Necro takes one off Braves pitcher Phil Necro, takes him deep. So, all right, not exactly tied to that one. And now we have the Zimmer brothers, uh, Bradley Zimmer taking it off Kyle Zimmer. And uh, if not, three of the four have involved a Cleveland baseball player. So uh, there you go. That's the history of, if you didn't see it on any of the tweets or articles, that's the history of brother-off-brother crime, brother-off-brother homers in Major League Baseball history. I saw this fact. This was fun. Uh, the brothers that have combined for the most home runs are the Aaron brothers. Obviously, Hank Aaron has 755, and his brother had like 13. So it really feels like one brother is doing a lot of the lifting in that Major League Baseball record. All right, so Bradley Zimmer gets his brother, and it's fun stuff. Uh, Quickly to talk about the pitching, Cal Quantrill was fantastic again. Six innings pitch, does give up six hits and three runs, but no walks, five strikeouts on 94 pitches. He's only hard hit five times. Quality start right there. That's a quality start and a win for Cal Quantrill. And that is big. It's his eighth win on the season. Moves him to 8-3 with a 2-8-9 ERA, and he talked to Andre Knott, in the post game, and even he admitted like he had a terrible spring training. He started off in a backup relief role, you know, to start off this season, and now he's worked himself into one of the best starters in Major League Baseball. And even even he admits that like it's been quite the journey for him. But he says he put in the work. I kept working. I I found out things about myself. He said that I didn't even know I had in the tank. So he's really, really excited for this pitching staff next season. He says they are incredibly competitive and incredibly um, supportive of each other. There's no animosity between them. They want, they want to be the five best pitchers in baseball. They want teams to fear Cleveland pitching no matter who is on the mound. And that is a great attitude for a rotation to have. Um, he, I think a bunch of them all trained together out in Arizona. He said they're really looking forward to their off-season routine when they can really work on some things. And frankly, they're going to come back and be a force to reckon with. Anyone who thinks, and the guys at work yesterday were doing this, they were like, eh, this team sucked this year. They'll probably suck again next year. No, no. If you hear that narrative out there, you shut it down and you tell them that Cleveland is going to have one of the best pitching staffs in baseball and they better get ready. They better get ready for a bounce back year. We'll talk about the investments the offense has to make as the offseason goes on, but you better be ready for the pitching next year. So Quantrill does a great job. What was working for him on this one? Let's go over to his player breakdown. Let's check those CSW numbers. Um, He threw the slider a ton, 40 times he threw the slider, 35 two-seamers, nine fastballs, six change-ups, and four curves. Nothing's really popping as far as CSW numbers go. Okay, whiff rate on the slider, 35% whiff rate on the slider, Um, and a couple of called strikes mixed in there for a 28% CSW, Uh, but he was really attacking the zone with that slider and attacking all four quadrants. 
If we go over to the illustrator here, he's really throwing the slider. I'm telling you to all four quadrants, even a couple up and away. Uh, pounding the strike zone, the low middle part of the strike zone with sliders, throwing them down at the bottom of the zone, throwing them into the righties away from the lefties. So some backdoor sliders here and then sweeping it across the zone when he wants to sweep it across the zone. Now, I think most of these out here are for balls, but, you know, obviously can keep them off balance when the slider can stretch all the way across the zone. Um, did get a couple of outs on the outside edge of the plate with that slider. So that's good. A couple of swinging strikes too. So really using all four quadrants with the slider. I was throwing the two-seamer mostly up and uh, the fastball mostly up. He was kind of missing with the fastball in the day. It wasn't a very effective pitch for him. But um, yeah, mostly slider-sinker combo here. Very few change-ups and curveballs mixed in. So that's how Cal Quantrill decided to attack Kansas City. And he should get one more start. I believe he's going to get the final start of the season. And uh, it looks like when we go out to Kansas City today through the rest of the week, it's going to be uh, Savali and then Plesak and then Bieber on Thursday. And then that means for that Texas weekend series, it should be Eli Morgan, Tristan McKenzie, and Cal Quantrill to finish things off. So uh, that should be your final six starters, I believe. Uh, so yeah, it was a good day pitching by Cal Quantrill, and when the Indians' offense is rolling like that, that's a really good job by him to keep them in the game. They score two more in the third inning, but then he shuts it down, locks it down for the next three innings, and then the bullpen comes out and gives you three solid innings. Trevor Steffen gets through the seventh on six pitches. My God, that's efficient. Shaw has a clean, puts up zeros in the eighth, and Class A zeros with a strikeout. In the ninth inning, Classe, honest to God, uh, someone tweeted this out. One of the best relievers we've seen since 90s Indians baseball. And uh, yeah, I get that. I get what he's saying there. Now, hang on a second. That does not take into account uh, Cody Allen and Andrew Miller and throw Shaw in there and what they were doing in the mid-teens, in the World Series team, in the playoff runs in the mid-teens. You got, come on, Andrew Miller and Cody Allen were dynamite in the back end of a bullpen for a few years there. And that's what relief pitchers are for a few years. That's all relief pitchers. Unless your name is Trevor Hoffman, uh, you know, or uh, some of these other guys, you know, Mariana Rivera. Unless your name is Hoffman or Rivera, it's for a few years. Most of these guys fizzle out after a few years. So, Let's just enjoy Class A while we got them. You, you, you keep churning a bullpen. you got to keep continually turning over a bullpen, finding new names. Hopefully, Class A is, uh, you know, sticks around for a long time and can dominate for a long, long time. His stuff has wicked movement to it on top of the speed. So, yeah, Class A with another great performance in the ninth inning. It was a five-run lead, but I feel like it's been a few days since he worked, so they put him out there. Like I said, DeMarlo Hale will protect any lead with Emmanuel Classe. So that's all my thoughts on this one. MVP for the day again goes to Ahmed Rosario. Bradley Zimmer with the fun moment of the day, hitting the homer off his brother. I hope you understood my rant to start the morning, and uh, I hope you appreciate, appreciate the Indians' history, but appreciate that it's time to move on. And uh, get excited for Guardians. Get excited. They, they, 
the the logos will evolve the font will evolve the look of the team will evolve as the guardians continue i i don't i mean how many iterations of chief wahoo was there right how many different iterations of the block c have we seen or the script i right be patient things will change and evolve they could be back to the script guardians logo typeface within a season or two, you know, like they could give up on this diamond font and go back to the script, which frankly, I'm okay with the block C and the script font. I think we all were. We liked it. it. Had a nice clean look, smooth look to it. This new diamond font, frankly, it just doesn't have a clean look to it, right? It's the jaggedness of it. It's not pleasing to the eyes. So yeah, they got some stuff to work on, but get excited for what this team could be next season. All right, that is all my thoughts. Speaking of merch, go check out the merch shop for Cleveland Baseball Mornings at clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com. There's a reason I named this show Cleveland Baseball Mornings because my stuff is going to be evergreen. You can wear a Cleveland Baseball Mornings t-shirt, whether they're the Indians, the Guardians, the Commodores, the Captains, whatever they decide to call themselves. So check it out for premium t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more for men, women, and kids. Show off your pride for Cleveland Baseball and help spread the show's name with some high-quality shirts and gear. We are definitely going to make a big push going into next season to try to grow the show and spread the name. So the link is in the show notes, and it's my pinned tweet on Twitter at Davey Barris if you want to check out clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com. Again, the final yesterday from Progressive Field, the final home game for the Cleveland Indians team before they become the Cleveland Guardians. It's the Cleveland Indians 8, the Kansas City Royals 3. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.